us that uh, every day that it's a rainy, nasty day like this and uh, kids eat hot dogs for lunch, you should pray for teachers. And I've already heard from a number of parents today that um, they're hanging by a thread and that uh, they probably didn't have hot dogs for breakfast, but they had something better known as bacon, which uh, is probably not that different from... uh, So um, I'm certain they're going... um, Children's worship will be quite lively today. So I pray... uh, You know what? I'm going to pray for him right now. Let's do that. Jesus, would you get a lot of glory in what happens? Well, not only in here today, you've got a lot of work to do in this room, but uh, you've got a lot of work to do in the uh, children's worship room as well. Strengthen those folks, uh, leaders, give them love and clarity and joy uh, and focus our kids today on um, just how worthy you are of their hearts and their worship. Would you do that? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So this year, in celebration of our 25th anniversary, we, as you know, we are majoring on the doctrine of our union with Christ. And so just as a reminder of that, one of the reasons why we're using the lectionary, you know, we, we've never done anything like this before in our, you know, I love to preach through books, uh, and I've been preaching through books here for 25 years, and so when we're done with the lectionary, we'll go back to preaching through books. Uh, but to help us get a picture of our union with Christ, uh, we're going through the lectionary, which tells us, talks to us each week about certain events and the life of Christ, and then in the life of the early church, to help us understand who we are and what it is that Jesus is doing for us and what it means to be in union with him. For instance, one of the reasons why we spend time on the birth of Christ uh, is not just because it's Christmas and we're supposed to do that, but it is also to help you think you have something in common with Jesus. Everybody in here has something in common with Jesus. and That is, you were born. <laughs> right? So some of the, so, so these experiences that you have and experiences that Jesus has, they're, they're, you know, we're, we're connected, right? Well, today we're going to go even further into that because what we're going to do is we're going to look at and, and talk this morning about the baptism of Jesus. Uh, a familiar text, familiar story, you know, where he goes out to, uh, uh, the Jordan River and I, I, you know, one of the things that's true for us uh, is that Joe Brown, would you go get me a couple of tissues? One of the things that is, I you know, I used to always hate it as a kid when I, those old men would preach in my church with the hairy nostrils, and uh, they always had those big nasty handkerchiefs they pulled out of their pocket that looked kind of yellow from where I was sitting. You know what I mean? So I hope I don't do that to you. There's probably some kid in here today who 25 years from now is going to remember that old man with the blowing his nose. But um, what was I talking about? Anyway, we're going to read we're going to read today from Luke chapter three, verses 15 through 17 and then verses 22 through 21 through 22. The text is printed in the bulletin. 
and also up on the screens behind me. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So uh, the thing to, to note about this passage, it's a familiar passage. It's one that we're used to. We need to be able to ask some questions of it this morning to kind of unpack what it is that Luke, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, wants us to know about this event in the life of Christ, right? Uh, and it's important for us to, to spend some time on this today because in many ways, this, this passage denotes for us a transition, and uh, numerous transitions, and everything about this text points that out to us. So, uh, Scott, go ahead and put my notes up there. So, one of the things that you, you need to note, and one of the things that should have jumped out at you when we read the text is, we, re- we read Luke uh, 3, 15 through 17, we skipped 18, 19, and 20, and then we read 21 and 22. Now, there's a reason for that. Now, the, the reason why it skips is because what happens in this text does not happen in chronological order. Something unusual is going on here. The events that are described in this text are out of order. Let me, let me show you. Because we read that uh, John's out there uh, baptizing. People are coming to him. Uh, he is preaching a message of repentance. And that's, we read that, you know, Jesus is going to come. He'll gather his, the wheat into the barn, the, the chaff he'll burn with unquenchable fire. We skip down to verse 21. Well, 18, 19, and 20 say this. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for the, all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. And then we have the baptism. It's out of order. John couldn't baptize Jesus, right, uh, if he was in jail. So why does he tell the story this way? Why does he want us to know that that John uh, is, is faithful ministry? Uh, and remember, no man born of woman any greater uh, other than Jesus than John the Baptist. That he goes and he does this and as, and, and that, that he's, he wants us to understand that as he goes to baptize Jesus, as he's standing there in the, uh, Jordan River, he wants us to understand that something's happening here. What's happening here is that John is decreasing and Jesus is increasing. There's a transition. There's a change. Right? So all of the focus, uh, so far really in the gospels up to this point in time, has been on the preparation for the coming of the Messiah and his arrival. And now the Messiah is on the stage and about to enter into his public ministry, and John's going to fade. Now, that's why he, 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 he puts this out of order, so that we know that, oh yeah, the important thing here is not so much that John baptized Jesus, 
But that Jesus was baptized by John. And after that, John is kind of, well, he goes away. So as we, as we look at this this morning, that's one of the things that you have to see is that there's a, that there's a trans, transition that's coming here. It's also to note that the way this works is the way Luke describes this to us is now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized, in other words, it's not that Jesus waited at the end of the line until everybody else got baptized and then he steps in and gets baptized. But there's a sense here in which this was the point. This is the pinnacle. This is the, the point of transition where John's ministry of, of, of preaching repentance, of baptizing people for repentance there out by the Jordan River, calling on the brood of vipers and, and, and all of that stuff. All, all of those things were pointing to this one event. And so it's not that Jesus was the very last one to be baptized, but that was the pinnacle. This was the point. This is, this is the hinge now on which this story is going to uh, turn. And so what you have to see is that this is a decisive moment. John's decreasing. Jesus is increasing. But not only that, not only is it a decisive moment, it is the hinge on which all of the history of the work of God with his people changes. Up until this point... Really, you could say that through the ministry of John the Baptist, we're in a sense in the Old Testament. That everything that's going on up to this point in time is the preparation for Jesus to be on the scene. And so John is kind of the last piece of that, uh, of, of, of that. And now things are changing. Now things are transitioning. But you have to see that there's even more here that tells us about transition in this passage. What's John's message? It's a message of repentance. And if there's anything that we know about repentance, repentance means change. It means transition. And that's exactly what John's ministry was, was a claim on people as if they're walking down the street. God shows up and says, hey, turn around, stop what you're doing and turn. Change. So all of the things that are happening here there's a, is, is a picture to us, an illustration to us of change. All of the work that's led up to this for centuries now is changing. Jesus is on the scene. John's ministry now is fading. Jesus is on the scene. People are showing up and being baptized and repenting. They are changing. They are in a place of transition as well, right? So this is a very decisive thing uh, that's happening. Now, you need to ask the question, and I'm going to pose the question now uh, to confuse you a little bit, because confusion is a pathway often to understanding. Uh, we, we, need, we need to think for a minute, if John's baptism is a baptism of repentance, then why in the world is the sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world getting baptized by John? That's an important question. Now, I, I'm just going to throw that out there for now. We're going to come back and answer it in a minute. But the, that, that's, that, should, that question should be posed. It makes sense that somebody like me, somebody like you, who needs to be washed, who needs to be cleaned, would go and do this. But if Jesus is who the Scriptures say he is, then why in the world would it be necessary for him to be baptized? All right? You know, um, you're you're probably used to thinking that the Jordan River is a big deal, right? We sing about it. 
on Jordan's stormy bank. I don't know how stormy the banks of Jordan are, but must be. We sing about it. We sing that song all the time. It's a great song. We're going to sing it at my funeral. I, I love that song. And so uh, I'll be singing it. You won't be able to hear me, but yeah, I'll be singing it. So, so the thing about it is, it, it, we, we, we think about the Jordan River and we think, it must have been a really big deal. Everybody must have known about the Jordan River. Well, let me tell you something. Let me tell you a little bit about the Jordan River, just so you know. Jordan River is not that big a deal. It is a boundary. It was the boundary that the people of God crossed, but there's nothing special about it. In fact, the James River, twice as long. Jordan River is 156 miles long. James River is 354 miles long. Yeah. Um, there's a river that uh, I've gotten to know lately uh, in our area called the Newfound River. Never heard of it, have you? It's uh, Most of the time it's about as wide as those four chairs right there. This year... It's been as wide as the whole front section of the church. Because did you know it's rained some this year in Richmond? Did you know that? Did you know it's been wet? So it's a lot bigger than it usually is. But I look at that river, and when I'm out there, I think, you know what? I bet that's a lot what the Jordan River looked like. Not much more than a creek when it was dry, out of its banks, kind of scary, a little scary, um, when, uh, uh, when it's been raining. But we, 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 take, we mark the Jordan River as something important because, because important things happened around it, right? It's, it, geographically, in many ways, it's, it, it's, it's insignificant, but historically, it's an important place. The father of Israel, Jacob, you know, was wrestled with uh, the angel of the Lord, uh, wrestled, I think, with Jesus right there uh, on the banks of the Jabbok, the creek that flows right into the Jordan River that feeds it. It was a place of transition for him, right? Jacob goes away from that a changed man. He limps the rest of his life, but he knows who his God is in ways that he never knew before. Moses goes up to the top of Mount Nebo, and he looks over the Jordan into the promised land, knowing that he'll never get there, but that's the last thing the people have to cross to get there. Joshua leads the people through the Jordan River into the promised land, and as God separates the waters, as soon as they take the ark into there, Joshua stacks up 12 rocks in the middle of the river to mark the faithfulness of God that far as he's taken them and as he prepares them to take the promised land. And we even read about that guy, the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the Assyrian army who gets leprosy and his slave girl tells him there's a prophet in Israel. He goes and finds Elisha and Elisha tells him, hey, go bathe in the Jordan. And what does Naaman say about the Jordan? That's nasty. I'm not getting in that. That little old river, that little creek. We got better rivers than that in my country. Why won't they do? He said, no, you go dip in the Jordan and you'll get clean. And he does. And he's changed. He's changed. So the Jordan River has significance because it was a place where, where there was transition. 
where there, there were changes that, that happened, uh, uh, in, 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 in people's lives. So it's a place of transition, both in the history of God's work, but in these people's individual history too. They would mark and remember not only the fact that God had brought the people from, from, uh, uh, into the promised land through the Jordan River, but that marked their entry as well into a lifestyle of repentance there at the Jordan River, right? So all of this is about change and about transition and about the fact that God is doing something new and dynamic and profound in bringing his Messiah into the world. Next slide, Scott. So the thing that we have to see about why would Jesus do this is why would he get baptized? And we read in in the other gospel accounts where John's like, hey, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. But Jesus goes and submits to the lesser person. He goes and submits to John to be baptized. Now, here's the thing that you have to see about that is that in doing so, Jesus is not getting his sins washed away, but he is identifying with people who repent. Did you hear that? Jesus is identifying himself with repenters. Now, here's, here's, here's the, the, the thing that you, you have to see about that. We hear that and we think, that's so good. Jesus identifies with me. You know, he, he, that's, that, that's, that's such a rich thing. You know, you, you get in touch with, with who you belong to. You know, we, we find so much in our lives and in our culture to identify with, right? Some of us like to identify with victims. And some of us like to identify with victors. And some of us like, you know, we, we find all sorts of things. I identify with you. You are my people. You know, these are my people. Um, we, uh, we eat a lot of special food at the holidays in our family. And, uh, this year, uh, we, we, uh, we wanted to make sausage balls. You know, gourmet food here, right? Sausage balls. It's just sausage, biscuit mix. Uh, some water and some cheese. That's all it is. Uh, and, you know, what can I say? We, we eat a lot of that over the holidays. Now, my problem is I'm a sausage snob. There's some, you know, the kind of sausage that you get here in Virginia, not very good. The better sausage comes from North Carolina, frankly. Uh, it's true. Um, and, uh, there's a company in, in North Carolina that makes sausage with extra sage. It's called Nice Sausage Company. Uh, they have readily identified, they got a big fat pig on the front of their labeling. And so, um, I always get sausage from there to make our sausage balls. But there's something else that they make. They make liver mush and liver pudding. I grossed the, uh, first service out with this, but, um, when I was a kid, uh, we would take our, sometimes we took care of our pigs ourselves, but sometimes we would take them to the processing place. And when we got done and we brought the meat home, they would give us a giant loaf of liver mush. It's called liver mush. And what it is, is all that stuff that you don't really want to eat in a pig, but you don't want it to go to waste either. You grind it up. Put some spices with it and some cornmeal and you make a giant loaf out of it. Like we would get loaves this big. Now, I like it fried. Now, I will tell you, my wife eats it cold. Yes. Do you think I'm gross? 
Y'all are always talking about how sweet and special she is. She eats cold liver mush, all right? So there. But I, one of the reasons why, and I spent three times the amount on air freight to get that stuff here than the actual cost of the product. Why do I do that? Because when I eat it, I identify with my people. It takes me back. It reminds me of like, oh yeah, this is what it tasted like when I was a kid. This is, this is what it was like in my family. So it brings me back to, the, the, to those memories. And so it is a sweet thing to identify, you know. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's identifying. But you know what? That's not enough. If Jesus only identifies with you, it's not enough. It's not enough. If all we can say about Jesus Christ is uh, he identifies with us, he understands us, he, he's, he's with us, then we have no salvation. And I want you to think about that with me for a second here because that's the, that's the thing about Jesus getting baptized. He's not just identifying with people who have to repent. He's not, and people who have to repent are people who have been judged, right? You've been judged needy. You've been judged sinful. You've been judged rebellious. And therefore, as you see that evidence and as you come up against that, you repent, right? Jesus not only identifies with us, he gets baptized with us. It would have been one thing for Jesus to have stood out there on the banks of the Jordan River and say, I endorse this ministry. What, what John is doing is a good thing, and I identify with that. But Jesus actually goes down and gets in the water with all of those people who have been judged and all of those people who are repenting. And what we have to see about that is it's not just that he identifies with you, and it's not just that he identifies with me, but he takes my place. He stands in my place, right? Right? And so, so there's something profound about that, right? So when we talk about our union with Christ, that is one of the things that, that we have to see is that we are united to Christ, not just because we identify with him or he identifies with us, but we are united to Christ in his death, in his atonement, in his sacrifice for us. And without that, we have no hope. We have no joy. We have, we have no other place to turn. And so, so when we see this, when we under, when we see the, the, this crazy thing of Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb of God, going down into the Jordan River, not only identifying with the, the soldiers and the tax collectors and, and the prostitutes and, and, and the, the middle class people like us, not only is he doing that, he's also standing in our place Dying our death, atoning for our sins. And so this identification goes even, goes so far as to say, it's not only that I identify with you, I stand in your place. Right? It's a pretty profound thing uh, for us to, to, to see that, right? So he's identifying with, standing in the place of those who have been judged sinners. Listen, you know, if, if, if you, uh, Paul makes this so clear to us that we miss it over and over and over again, right? For our sake, he made him to be sin, standing in our place. Not, not to know sin, not, not to be identified with those who sin, 
But he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's our hope. It's not just that Jesus knows me and identifies me with me, but that he became my sin for me so that I become his righteousness in him. That's the heart of the gospel, right? But the thing that's even more profound about what's going on here in this text is when, when you read this, Luke kind of just passes over the baptism, doesn't he? I mean, notice, notice what he says, right? He says, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized, that's it. He wants their attention drawn to something else. And what is it? Well, And we have to ask, what's the bigger event? Next slide. So Jesus gets baptized, but look at what he does as soon as he gets baptized. It says, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying. Wow. Isn't that something? What a a crazy scene that must have been. John says, I got to baptize you. You should baptize me. We're going to do this. To fulfill all righteousness, he baptizes him. He comes up out of the water, and the first thing that we see Jesus doing is he's praying. Now, what's he praying for? Well, I think we know by what happens next. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, I don't know about what you pray for the most, but I pray for relief. Now, now not just from pain, but I pray for relief from circumstances. I want this, I want, I want this to change so life gets easier. I want, I want this to change so that, that I can feel better about things. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with praying for relief. We all ought to pray for relief. The Bible's full of prayers for, of relief. But when was the last time you said to God, Father, I need the Holy Spirit? What is facing me, the, the, the difficulties, the challenges, the things in my life, what I need is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is embarking on his public ministry. He is about to go out and face off with the devil for 40 days in the wilderness. He is preparing to preach and he knows in his heart of hearts that this is not going to end well, right? He knows that, that he is going to go to the cross, right? And what does he ask for? He doesn't, he doesn't, like most, most people, like most of us at the beginning of something like this, if we're starting a business or starting a church, what do you pray for? Success! But he prays for the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit comes, but we know later on in Luke, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is asking for the Holy Spirit, and the Father loves it, and the Father loves him. And, 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 and to show the answer to that prayer, the, the, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. Right? Here's, here's the thing that's, that's so profound about that. I, I've thought about this. You know, we've grown used to this. And back in rural North Carolina, we sing a gospel song. On the wings of a snow. Anyway, you can listen to it uh, on Google. Uh, God sends his purest love. Right? Why didn't he send a duck? It's on a river. Right? Why didn't he send a turkey? Or an eagle? Right? 
Why didn't he, why didn't he send a raven, right? God uses ravens all the time in the Old Testament. He feeds, uh, 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 Elijah out there all that time with ravens, right? Why didn't he send something like that? He sends a dove. Why is that? Because Jesus' ministry is going to be pure. Jesus' ministry is going to be gentle and meek, and that is precisely where the power of that ministry is going to be. But not only does Jesus recognize the fact here that he needs the Holy Spirit, the Father does something profound. He says, you're my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. How much time have you spent in the last week trying to get someone to approve of you? Now, now, if you're like me, I want to get you to approve of me without you knowing that you did it. You know how that is? I want to be subtle. I want to, when, when, we're, when we're gathered talking, I want to point out all those things that I sacrificially did and made happen and did so that you'll be like, oh, you know, I approve of you, Steve. Well done, right? Now, there's, there's nothing wrong in one sense in, uh, in, 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 in understanding that a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of help and a little bit of approval goes a long way. But I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you today, if Jesus Christ stands in your place, not only identifies with you, but stands in your place, could it be possible that God could say this about you today? You're my beloved child, and you I am well pleased. You who screamed at your kids this morning. You who got in a bitter argument with your spouse. You who felt today lonely and separated and off by yourself. You today who felt sinned against and victimized. You today who's here and it's hard for you to be here because you had too much to drink last night. How will you hear this? Right? Well, for some of us, the way we think is, well, I'm here, and I'm tidying up my life, and, and oh, good, before we get to communion, there's an opportunity for, for me to confess. You know, that's the Protestant version of the confessional, right, where you go and you confess. Now you're clean, and you can go on about your business, right? And you should confess. You should repent. But confession and repentance is not a work you do to get the approval of God. Do you hear that? You should repent. We don't repent enough. You should confess. You don't confess enough. But the fact is, your repentance and your confession is not a work that you do to get God to approve of you. The approval that you seek is found in Jesus Christ. In him standing in your place and him claiming you and you being in him. Stop seeking approval anywhere else.
Oh, my goodness, you know, that there's so much time and energy that we spend scrapping around for scraps of approval here and there when, when the Father of lights, the Father of Jesus Christ, because he's hidden your life in him, looks at you and says, I delight in you, warts and all, because you are buried in and covered in the righteousness of my son. Can you imagine the freedom that you and I would experience if we lived in light of that? It is objectively true of you and me today, if we are in Christ, that we have the approbation, the delight of our Father. Right? Repent, confess, but repent and confess Because Jesus has done the work. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread... And drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's use this prayer of confession uh, that's in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens behind me. O Lord, no day of our lives passes that does not prove us guilty in your sight. Our best services are filthy rags. All things in us call for our rejection. However, all things in Christ plead our acceptance. Grant us to hear your voice assuring us that by your stripes we are healed. That you were bruised for our iniquities. That you became sin for us. That we might become righteous in you. Grant that by resting in your righteousness, we may hereafter walk in newness of life as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. My mom had two older brothers. Uh, The oldest, my Uncle Robert, lived his life as a raging alcoholic. 
had to be gotten out of jail and put in detox, I don't know, dozens of times. I have vague memories of him showing up at our house uh, uh, and it being kind of freaky and having to be locked away in another room while they dealt with him. And yeah, that was my Uncle Robert. Um, My Uncle Bill, my mom's other older brother, uh, was a war hero, uh, shot down numerous uh, uh, German planes off of uh, Navy convoy ships in the North Atlantic, uh, deacon in the Baptist church, led the men's ministry. At his funeral, people were lining up uh, singing praises to him. Their dad, my grandfather, was dying. And he was in the hospital. He reached out of his oxygen tent, pulled both his sons down to him and said, Bill and Robert, you're my boys. I love you. Now, why in the world did he do that? Well, first of all, I think he loved them, you know. Just because you're a raging alcoholic, if you're my kid, you're still my kid and I love you. You might break my heart a million times, but nothing's going to change the fact that I love you. Right? You might be a mess. You might be hard to love, but I love you. I also think he said that because he wanted my Uncle Robert to know that his father loved him. But I also think he wanted my Uncle Bill who was the war hero and the outstanding deacon in the Baptist church, uh, to know that his father not only loved him, but loved his prodigal older brother. I wish I could tell you that when that happened in the winter of 1969, that my uh, uh, Uncle Robert never drank another drink Never did anything terrible after that. Because that's, I can tell from the looks on your faces that that's a pretty profound moment, right? A deathbed thing. But you know what? I don't think it really changed him that much. And that's unfortunate. I believe he's in heaven. I think he is. But I think this, his addiction got the best of him most of the rest of his life. Does it make a difference to you today? That in Jesus Christ, you have not only his righteousness, but the delight of the Father. Does that call forth from you repentance? It should. Does it call forth from you joy? It should. Does it call forth from you um, a heart that overflows uh, uh, with love that wants others to hear and know that they can rest in the righteousness and the approval earned for them by Jesus Christ. It should. It should change us, right? Let's pray that it does, that it will. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you know you have no other place to go for approval, the approval of God, You've failed miserably at it, but that you that you know you have it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You profess that to a body of believers somewhere. He invites you today to identify yourself with the sinners, with the repenters, 
but even more so to identify with the crucified one who's risen, who by his work delights in you. As uh, the elders and deacons come down front this morning to assist me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, all the bread is bread that is gluten-free.